your attention, your focus, and your energy determines the outcome you will have. What's shaking? This is Rick Jordan. Welcome back to the All In Podcast. And I have with me my friend, like super close friend, Dan Evans. Good to be here, Rick. Yeah, man. We met each other, what, 13 years ago now? Something like that? God, it, it feels like lifetimes ago. I know. But at the same time, time has flown by. Yeah, it was church, yeah. and we were playing music together. We were guitaring. Yeah, we were. Like younger, chubbier versions of ourselves. Oh, both of us, yeah, yes. for sure. <laughs> we're just like hardcore acoustic guitar players. Oh my gosh, yeah. I remember that. I remember you talk about, you know, both of us have lost a lot of weight. I yeah. remember the guitar, you know, just sticking like way out there. Yeah. You look back at photos, and it's, how did I even play like that? Because it's not even like a... Like a like an elbow up and down movement anymore. It's like a whole shoulder twist <laughs> yeah. for the strum. You were pulling an old guitar out that has an old strap on it, and you're like, "This thing's down by my yeah. knees." I, mean, I feel like one of these punk rock dudes. Uh, That's fantastic. Yeah. We both have musical roots, man. But yeah. I mean, you took it to another level for a time period too. I did. Um, you know, it, it was always my dream to find a way to pursue music professionally, yeah. and and coming up in the church world is, is interesting because it's such a welcoming audience to play in front of. I mean. There's really is pretty much it's a judgment free environment where you can step up there. You can pour your heart out. You can go for it. And generally speaking, there's not a ton of negative feedback you're going to get. But when you step outside of that world and you want to start pursuing it professionally, you realize that it's there's some tough crowds out there. There is some, you know, you've really got to take it to another level to prove yourself. And um, that was just a, a, a very big wake up call for me to now go into the professional world and go, wow. Um, you know, if I'm not on the tip top of my game, then this isn't going to go anywhere. Yeah. We've had conversations along those lines before too. And there's something that you said that's really stuck with me the whole time because it just embodied everything that both you and I have really gone through, Mm -hmm. you know, and you came out of the biggest loser going into your music career. Yep. And we'll we'll touch on that in a sec, man, because that's a, that's a fun story too. Other conversations (laughs) we've had. Whole other one. Yeah, it is. But with the music side of it, you know. You did a you did a distribution deal, if I remember yeah. right, right? It wasn't like this. You got signed to a label kind of a thing, you know, mm-hmm. pretty much like the the Hollywood or the Nashville true story or whatever. I got discovered. Yeah, yeah, exactly. yeah. That's the conversation we've had, too. Yeah. That I think, like, everybody on this planet who has some kind of a dream needs to understand. Yeah. You know, and there was something that you said. I don't know if you even remember what you said. Most likely not. But, yeah. <laughs> but it stuck with me ever since then. It was that... You know, you're waiting for these people to like welcome you into their kingdom. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's what you think when you're when you're pursuing something in the creative realm. You know, yeah. even like with a podcast, like we're on right now or whatever. You know, I remember like waiting. You know, a year, even a year and a half ago, even though I knew better, it's like, oh, man, well, all the downloads are going to start yeah. rolling in. You know? I, they're going to send me a membership card that says <laughs> yes. like, I'm in the community of successful people now. <laughs> right on. And nothing came in the mail. Almost like a, maybe they're overnighting it. It'll be here soon. <laughs> but it's really true. I, I think so many times we expect this like big lights turn on moment, this moment like in the movies where they're the, the guy in the back in the suit is hiding in the back of the room and hears you at this little venue and yeah. they're like, oh my goodness, you're the best person ever. And they're going to whisk you away and you're going to be in this big studio and record an album. And the problem is if you're waiting for that and that doesn't happen, well then what? 
do you just stay in the little coffee house or, or do you move forward with or without that opportunity that may or may not even exist on this planet? And that was the decision that I ultimately made was I'm going to push forward no matter what. Yeah. And, and if somebody doesn't offer for me to make an album on their dime, well, then I'm going to figure out a way to scrape up some dollars and I'm going to make it. And I'm going to meet somebody. I'm going to find some way. I'm going to find a way for it to get into the stores. And I'm going to find a way for it to get, you know, uh, digitally released and all that. And that's what we did. Um, so when I came off The Biggest Loser, I had won some money from different parts of the show where you play these games and you win this challenge and you get a, you know, whatever. And I, I took every penny of that and I went to Nashville and I funded my own way. And um, I paid, uh, you know, to rent the recording space. I found producers. Um, they helped me connect with some of the best musicians in Nashville to come in and be the studio performers on the album, um, which then led me to meeting some writers to help us put together the songs. And there was nobody there to tell me how or to show me how. And I wasn't going to wait around for that person to show up. So we just kept pushing forward and doing it. We're like, okay, well, now the album's done. It's back from mastering. We have all the tracks. What do we do? Well, we got to pick a release date. Well, how do you release it? Yeah. So I, I continued trying to figure it out. And I went to San Francisco and I went to uh, a convention, I believe it was called NAM. And it's something about like National Association of Music. I don't know. Yeah, yeah. And, and it's I, association that, no, or is that ASCAP that pays all the royalties and everything. Yeah, yeah, yeah it's, they, it's still in the same they, realm, right? Yeah, this yeah. big convention is where like all these buyers and distributors all come together and they talk about the next year plan and like universal will have a suite and they want to show their artists to like best buy back when cds were a thing and um i just started milling around and finding people i'm like maybe if i find somebody who was a fan of the biggest loser they'll recognize me because their wife made them watch the show or something but that'll be my open door and i'll have my cd on me and i'll show it to them and the whole thing and and i was a nobody just milling around trying to find some people and find somebody and i met some guys from a little indie label who had a distribution deal with universal and they were huge fans of the show but they were like wait a second but what i remember about the show was you were a very personality filled person oh, right on yeah and and they're like yeah. we want to see if that talent exists in other places we want to hear the music and so we sat together and i got on my guitar and i played some songs and played some from the album and they're like this is cool, dude. You know, um, we're not going to give you any money. We're not going to really help you. But what we will do is give you an avenue for your music to get out there. I'm like, okay, I'm getting closer. And now this thing can get in stores. And before I know it, I, I have a release date. And when CDs mattered, it was going to Circuit City and Best Buy and Walmart and on the end caps at Walgreens and uh, iTunes. So I'm like, well, I got to promote this thing. So we bought a, um, a used old tour bus and put a big wrap on the side of it with my face and like this whole thing in the album cover and the release date. And we started driving around the country, like getting pre-sales and telling people like, hey, this album's coming. Like, uh, remember me from The Biggest Loser? Eh, well, I have a guitar. And they're like, oh my God, like kind of good. Like that was the, the big surprise. Like reality show guy actually can like play. Yeah, and right on. <laughs> because I cut my teeth all those years, yeah. you know, you and I together on the stage and yeah. playing and playing for million hours. And, and it all led to a point um, that when I put the album out and it finally released, remember the date, it was September 30th of 2008. Way back in time, I came out number seven on the country billboard charts. And at that point, I had a top 10 album. That's awesome. Nobody yeah. invited me. Nobody yeah. offered it to me. Nobody told me how to do it. And I said, okay, well, I'm not going to wait for that. And just figured it out. That's fantastic, man. That's a, that's a surreal experience, isn't yeah. it? Because I'm sure you walked into a Best Buy too and you saw, just to go see that yeah. your album was there on yeah. the shelf. I might have bought yeah. a couple just because like, <laughs> exactly. I wanted to like, have yeah. one with a sticker on it, you know? <laughs> yeah, it's a, that's how it is, you know? I mean, now nowadays in digital scenarios, yeah. right? 
I'm looking at my book that goes online, you know, because I went a different direction. And yeah. I see the book and the day that it hit Amazon and then the day that it shows like number one new release yeah. on there too. I was like, oh my gosh. And like, then I bought a few yeah. too. <laughs> yeah. Like screenshot like, exactly. or whatever. Like, how do you get I got in all here? the screenshots. <laughs> yeah. yes, right on. Uh, it's pretty great because now it it's is. like, I have a number one best-selling book. Yes. You know, you see that. But then, it, you know, after that, you know, it's still like, okay, well, what now? Yeah. You know, you, you have the success that's there and you have the screenshots or you, you can, you know, mm -hmm. you probably have the thing from Billboard, you yes, know, yes. you can still keep it. Of and course. Like even that uh, week's magazine that came yeah. out, like, you know, the actual billboard magazine yeah. and you go to page, whatever, and see the charts. I'm like, oh my God, like, yeah. but like 11 copies of that. <laughs> yeah, for sure. Do you have any more in the back? Like, <laughs> Right on. That, that's awesome. It, when you're on The Biggest Loser, because that's really what sparked the, the music side of things, yeah. you know? I, remember, I think I remember you finished, what, fourth or something like that? Um, in the there was – so the, the top three finalists are the ones who, like, compete for the big money. Yeah. And I got voted off the week before they picked the That's finalists. Right, yeah. So fourth would basically be it. Um, and it, so I made the entire journey through the season. I was biggest loser of the week more than anybody. I was just really, like – I mean, going for it. I'm like, man, this is it. Like, this is my chance. This is my time. And I'm like crushing it on the show. I'm like losing more weight than anybody. And then right there near the end, I had like a little dip where my numbers weren't great. And I fell below the line and I was up for elimination. I'm like, this is our chance to get him out. Like he's been killing us. Like he's yeah, been crushing yeah. it on the show. And he blipped below, had a little short week and boom, I was voted off. And it was like, ah, yeah. And then uh, there's a secondary yeah. prize where you can go home and everybody who's been voted off can win, still is competing for like a hundred grand. And um, this dude, this other guy, Bernie, he's from Chicago, super cool guy. Um, he comes in and he beats me out by like half a percent, oh, which was right. just like yeah. a couple yeah. pounds. Like, so I lost 136 pounds on this journey. And if I would have lost like 138, I would have won the hundred grand. I was like, man, I missed the mark there. And then I missed it there. And I was just yeah. like, Oh, come on. How'd you feel? Because you were on, I remember it was a couple's thing or yeah. I, I, well, couples, whatever, but yeah. you were on with your mom. Yep. And I remember that. She got voted off early on, right? Yeah. I think she made it like week seven okay. of the 16 weeks of yeah. the show was. So yeah, she was right around that midpoint. What was that like for you? Because I, I remember too, like it was really kind of like a blessing in disguise for her because she yeah. found out going into it. Uh, it, it's weird the stuff you remember yeah. you know, from years ago that she had some medical things that she never even knew existed either. And it yeah. was like, oh my gosh, you know, it was so cool getting picked for this because now she was able to go through this process and see yeah. what was actually up with her physically. That Was it thyroid or something? If I remember? Yeah, it was. Um, so you know, obviously when you're trying out for a show of that yeah. magnitude and they're taking people who are severely unhealthy and putting them through this like rigorous workout routine that starts day one, they have to make sure, can you handle this? Like, yeah. do you have something that's going to tick on day one when, when you go into the gym? And um, what they saw was her, her thyroid, thyroid rates were just incredibly low. And they're like, well, that can mean a lot of things. And there can be other things that cause that. And they started to worry about um, potential heart condition that she sure. could have because her father, my grandfather died of a heart attack when he was in his mid sixties. Um, and they're like, wow, this, this could be something. My mom's like, I've always worried about that. She's like, you know, I'm being overweight and like, you know, my style of eating and stuff. I've always yeah, been very yeah. scared that there could be something in my heart. And then, so what they did is it's the best doctors, medical team that they have working on the show. They sent her to Cedar sinai and they did like where you drink the stuff and they do like this 3D imaging of the heart and everything. When they came out, they're like, no, 
you just have an unhealthy thyroid. We can work on that. Your heart is very strong, very healthy. We think you're going to do great in this. It was a big relief for her because yeah, yeah. this underlying fear, knowing that's how she lost her father and knowing like she kind of looked like she's like, hey, I just feel like I look like my dad. I kind of carry my weight like he did. And she's like, I'm, I'm very worried that 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 could be an issue for me as well. And it was really a release point for her to, yeah. to say, go for it. And she did. And it really helped her sort of let loose and and give it all she had. And, and she did incredible. No doubt. She really did. She did get voted off. I don't remember how many weeks the show ran, but in week six or seven. Yeah. Uh, what, was, what was going through your mind when that happened? Um, it was a weird moment of, 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 it sort of felt like betrayal among the team yeah. because we all sort of had this pact of who was going to go home in what order. Like the people are like, who, we're kind of ready to be done. And so we sort of had this group agreement on who was going home. And it turns out there wasn't a group agreement that we were involved in. There was a group agreement that we weren't involved in. And when she fell below the line, we went into that, that elimination and you have your, like you write a name on a thing and they put it under like a, a lid and you like reveal it. And all of a sudden it's coming down the line and the team's not voting for everybody we said we were going to vote for. My mom's name keeps coming up. And it was like, wait a second. And, you know, it's like you're living in this house. You're with these people. You're cut off to the outside world. You have no phone, no internet, no TV, no nothing. You just have this game you're playing. So it becomes your world. Like your whole world is this game. So by week seven really is more like week nine or 10 through like the tryouts, the sequestering, the flying you out there, the, the days leading up and the doctor stuff and all that. So here you are like two, three months into this thing and the people you're living with and like know and love and trust just betrayed you like to your face and you're like, okay, all right, this is a game. Yeah. We're yeah. not friends, but we have to act like it. And that was the switch I had was like, okay, I guess now we're going to be friends. <laughs> and, and it really changed the way I played the game from them forward. No doubt. Yeah. And you did really, really well, man. I remember that. I remember watching the finale. Yeah. You know, when you're on there and you coming out, I was like, this is incredible. Yeah. You know, and there was a, you still had to lose weight, and then we'll go into the after mm -hmm. after this. But when you were voted off the show in order to compete for the final dollars, yeah, you still had to keep up with stuff after that. Yeah, there's another conversation you and I had about how they really didn't teach you much. Yeah, it's true. In that how do, in those couple of weeks, but then even after, how did you stay up with what you needed to in those couple of weeks? Um, you know, that was a tough thing. When they throw you, the whole thing happens so fast. You really feel very thrown into it. And leading up to the show, they fly you out to California. You're in a hotel room and you stay in your hotel room until they come get you out of the room. And then they bring you down to like your casting interviews with network, with the production company, with all the people, all the stakeholders of NBC that say, yes, these are the 20 people that will get ratings, make a great show, the personalities. We have the whole sort of gambit here. And then they say, okay, congratulations, you've made the show, we start tomorrow. And you're in your first workout within 10 hours later. Whoa. Like, I mean, it's it's so fast, it's incredible. But there's no time where they really sit down and go, okay guys, what we're gonna talk about is the theory of exercise or really the, the deep concepts of nutrition and, and boosting metabolism. Instead it's like, all right, go, 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 you're doing 20 squats and lunges and whatever, I'm just sweating and crying and like panicking and all this. And this goes on at this pace for weeks and weeks and weeks. So when you finally go home, it's like cricket, cricket, cricket. I realize I'm like, 
There's nobody here to yell at me. Nobody here to tell me we're doing treadmill for an hour and we're doing these circuits and these sprints and all this and all that. And I was like, okay, well, I'll go try and do a workout that I remember from the show, which is weird because we're like in this house by ourselves and like lunging around the house and the yard and stuff. Like, oh, really? <laughs> yeah. And so now here I'm up at the gym. I'm like, oh, I just like lunge around this whole place, like down in the lobby, whatever. And it was, it was sort That's of great. What I discovered was I didn't really have all the tools. I was just sort of like driven by drill sergeants through just not even how to do it, but just blindly made to kind of do it. And it was great, but it was also not as educational as I really thought it was. Yeah, I hear you. That's the biggest part. I mean, when I dropped a lot of weight too, man, it was the education side of it that's allowed me to keep it off. Yeah. And, you know, the, it's it was self-education for yeah. me. I didn't have a drill sergeant or, or anything like that, but I can imagine that because even in the house I, from the show, I remember – you know, showing the meals that you guys would eat yeah. and everything. But it was like, where's the footage of them actually learning how to cook? Right, you right. <laughs> of, of the right ingredients to put into the, the pot to, to cook. That yeah. way you can actually understand this information when you go home. Right, And right. continue on with it. You know, because I don't know if that's a... I don't know if that's an oversight or if it's just something that they don't care about or whatever, because it almost comes back to like the government and the food pyramid. Yeah. Like it's a bunch of BS. Yeah. You know, yeah. but I'm sure they didn't give you over food. What, what was it? They just delivered meals to you and said, here's something. So for it. This is what you eat. There was like a, a shopper. She was uh, one of the production assistants or whatever. Yeah. And, and so the trainers and the, you know, they would give her just a list of foods yeah. that were approved, like, you know, lean sliced Turkey, you know, this, uh, like whatever whole sprouted oat bread and this and that. And they basically said, look at the food, flip over the package and don't eat any more than this amount of calories for the day. And they kind of gave us all like a marker. We're like, okay, so we just, whatever we ate, we just made sure we never went over this marker. And what we didn't really realize though, is the foods they gave us, it was kind of okay. However, we mixed and matched. It didn't matter. It was just kind of like lean proteins, fruits and veggies yeah, and yeah. this and that. But we never really learned like, you know, the deep concepts of, well, why? Like, you know, what is the importance of lean protein? Why do I want to have a protein with my carb and to bring those together and balance your metabolism? And, you know, where do I fold in? Like, do I, should I have a ton of fruit for breakfast or like one little piece or something? Yeah. And that was the thing that, that really was difficult after the fact uh, to figure out, okay, well, what do I do now? And I always felt like I would just tell myself, well, what did I do on the ranch? It was the ranch is what it was all called. Yeah, I was like, yeah. well, what did I do on the ranch? You know, or what would Bob do? It was kind of like my joke. <laughs> so I was always recalling a memory as opposed to referencing an education. Oh, that's intriguing, man. Yeah. Bob was your trainer, right? Yeah. That was, I remember that. Yeah. <laughs> He's super cool, dude. Super cool, dude. That's awesome. Yeah. I, uh, you did a lot on the show. And what was your proudest moment that you had? Um, man. I would say some point in the journey, there was a moment where I realized that I could do it. And, you know, for me being like an overweight teen growing up, it was something that I hated. I struggled with. It felt like it, I didn't know how to make it go away. So I just learned to live with it. And I had this like light bulb moment around week five or six or seven. I don't know. But I remember looking in the mirror and having like this deep look in the mirror and realizing like, my face had changed. Like when I looked down, like my, my, my body was changing. And it was that moment where I realized if I apply myself at this level to anything, I could do anything. Like if, if you wake up every morning and just go to town on something, just focus nothing but your energy on this, on this one thing. And in, in this house and on the ranch, it was weight loss. I'm like, okay, well, what about when that's behind me? 
What could it be? How about music? How about anything? How about a new business? How about an idea concept? But whether a family or whatever it is that goal is, it, it was this aha moment that I, I internalized, that, that I've kept with me absolutely to this point in my life, and I still do, is that your attention, your focus, and your energy determines the outcome you will have. And a lot of people are like, well, yeah, you know, I got this side hustle and, you know, I, I try to do it a little here in the evenings or, well, I can't because like, you know, we got all this stuff going on and I got bowling on Thursdays and, you know, whatever. It's like, that's great, but you're never going to get any substantial result from something that is so back burner. Oh my God. Have we had this conversation before about side hustles? I don't know. I, I don't because even know. A, yeah, that might have been a sushi roll many a- Maybe, maybe, because it, it's a, you know- uh, Outside of socialism, what? That's what I just said that. <laughs> as far as being a virus to entrepreneurialism, mm -hmm. side hustle to me is the biggest virus to entrepreneurialism. Uh, just because it's a, your energy, your focus is not on right. that. You know, and it's, I, I had to plug the socialism thing in there just because of Thank where, you. yeah, yeah, you're welcome. <laughs> but it is because side hustle means side attention, means side energy, yeah. means side focus. And that's anything. I mean, yeah. that's why I've always said too, I mean, we're talking about nutrition and biggest loser. It's like diets, they don't freaking work. Right. You know, and I, before I dropped all my weight, it was, I, I did things like Weight Watchers. Yeah. I did things like Atkins. Yeah. You know, and you see some immediate results, especially on Atkins, which yeah. sucked balls, by the way. Yeah. It was just disgusting trying just to eliminate bacon and yeah. cheese and oh like Diet Coke. And when you were talking about like the blending of, uh, you know, like like the proteins with the carbs yeah. so you can do get all the nutrients you need, especially for muscle mass, man. Mm. I mean, nobody teaches you this stuff. Yeah. Unless you actually go through and try to find the education yourself, because things like keto, keto is horrendous too. Mm -hmm. If you're trying to build muscle mass, you know, it's just, of course, if you eliminate all the freaking carbs from your life, you're going to drop weight. Right. How is that any way healthy? Because there's a reason carbohydrates exist yeah, in yeah. this life, you know, yeah. and plus they well, taste pretty good too. But well, they, they, and, <laughs> and they exist everywhere in nature. Yeah. You know what I mean? Things that humans have been consuming for, you know, whatever, thousands of years. And then you're going to go, yeah, well, I'm just going to quit all of them right now all of a sudden. Go through <laughs> yeah. like a terrible <laughs> detox, like right addiction on. thing. And then, yeah, get some quick results, but have nothing that's long lasting. And the second you try and reincorporate them, weight's coming back. And it's like a yeah, whole because it's cycle. A diet. It's yeah. not a life change. It's not a decision to live healthy, which is really the point that yeah. we found out through our journeys themselves. Mm -hmm. You know, I didn't go on a TV show, but you know, I almost died, you know, yeah, I had that. Yeah. Oh, that's a <laughs> but whole a, other thing. Yeah, for mean. sure. But I mean, tragic experiences or these kinds of things can help us realize. But I, to me, your, your experience that like changed you wasn't actually being on the biggest loser. It seems like it was when you were off the biggest loser yeah. and realizing, well, what did I learn? Yeah. Did I learn anything? Well, isn't it so many times in life though, like when the, the, the trenches, the hardest part, when you're going through those things that, 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 that shape you, I mean, it's, it's whether it's, it's, it's losing a business, it's losing a relationship. It's, it's those things in life that you feel like you're in your darkest times. It's generally not till after when you can sort of retrospect on those things that you can really evaluate what you took away from it. And it's, it's a lot of times that's where, you know, unless you have lost it all a few times or lost major things to have that faith and that courage to go, it's going to be okay. Yeah, we're going to yeah. learn from this. We're going to bounce back and we're going to be better than ever because there is something in here that is going to change me. It's going to change us. It's going to sharpen us to make us better than ever. But it's, it's in the depths of those, that despair, especially if it's your first go around at, at a big crash in life to go, it's all over. You know, this is it. I'm done. Everything I've done, I, I, I just always knew it. Instead, it's, it's, it's understanding that those are the, the stones that sharpen you. And it's, 
that's tough for a lot of people. Yeah, man, it really is. And that's the, oh, the fear that a lot of people have from f- even going for big things in life. The yeah. fear that you could lose it and could go through the darkness. So it's like, wait a second, you're not going to pursue something because you're afraid of what could happen. And on the other hand, you know, guys like us who've tried things, tried businesses, tried ideas and made money and lost money and, and everything in between, you start to go like, so? Yeah, exactly. So yep. Like, uh, I'm going to try something. I'm going to be afraid to try something because there could be a bad outcome. Yeah, but there could be a good outcome. Right on. Uh, you know, but again, it's the ability to, to maintain that even through the darkest times. Yeah, the what ifs should never stop you. <laughs> yeah. The what ifs should just help you make you examine what's going on and maybe some strategies that you might not want to try. Yeah. But even more so, you start looking at all those things, at least for me, when, yeah. I, when I start asking the what ifs, it's like, yeah, there's all these what ifs this happens, but then it's the, the what ifs. What if this does happen? Right, right. You know? And that's the side I kind of lean towards a little bit more. And it's like, hey, I'm going to have, you said it, so what? You know, and I, I yeah. love using that even as a like a, a rebuttal in a sales conversation too. Yeah. It's like, well, what, you know, well, I don't really feel about this. I'm like, so? <laughs> so? <laughs> yeah. yeah, I don't give up. You know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. There, there's no comeback to that, man. Yeah. When you throw that, yeah. that's the thing. Because I mean, if you pour, if you take, pour all of yourself into what you're going to go after, you know, like you're saying, all of your focus yeah. And you will crash and burn time and time again, mm-hmm. because I mean, we've, we've had rises, we've had falls mm-hmm. in lots of areas of life, but then you look at us, well, I did all this. I fell before. Yeah. I'm still chugging along by the way. I'm doing better now than I did back then. If I hadn't failed, if I hadn't fallen on my face, there's yeah. no way in hell that I would know to do or not to do this thing again. Yeah. yeah. Well, and, and the education that comes from each of those rises and falls and everything in between. I mean, uh, so many times, you know, people are like, hey, dude, you're, you're not doing music. Apparently that didn't work out or whatever. It was like, no, that was incredible. But yeah. what that did is led me to what was next, led me to the next business venture, the next idea, the meeting of people, the, you know what I mean? That it's, it's, it's for me, it's, my life has never once stopped. I've never done a restart. All I've done is just keep continue stacking the bricks and the blocks and the experiences and the education and the relationships and the partnerships and all of these things that each and every time, whatever I'm building is bigger than before every time. And that's the difference. Had I been too afraid to build the little thing, I would be nowhere near building any of the big, big things that I, I currently am now. I mean, it's 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 a growth process that you can't be afraid of. Yeah, for sure. And there's things, you know, things happen and tragedies happen in life too. I know this year you lost your dad. Yeah. yeah. Dude, I, I loved your dad. I love Bernie. <laughs> Killer dude, dude. I mean, <laughs> yeah. crazy. And it's, it, again, it's one of those things where it's like the phone rings, whatever life calls yeah. and, and everything changes in a moment. I mean, that, that's been the theme of 2020, right? Yeah. I mean, it's life has all changed in a moment over and over again. And it's, it's the decision of what do I do with this? Yeah. Do I curl up in a ball and I might have for a moment or two? Um, but do I also take everything that, that my dad gave me and, and then use that as power and energy to do everything that, that he believed in me and instilled in me and knew that I would do. And it's, again, it's, it's how do you get through those darkest times and what do you do with that? And if it, you let it defeat you, then that's probably as far as you're going to make it. But if you somehow can pull strength from that darkness, there's hope. Yeah. I remember the social media posts you were putting out after that. Cause I mean, yeah. my dad passed when I was 16. Yeah. Social media didn't happen at that point in time, but I'm looking at your dad and it helped me reflect yeah. on me because I remember being around the two of you and every conversation that I ever had with your dad, man, at least about you, mm-hmm. it was always that he was like your biggest supporter, your biggest cheerleader. Uh, 
biggest fan yeah, on the dude, planet. It was incredible. Just yeah. see, see it because his eyes would light up. You know, every time he would talk about you and the, the, I yeah. don't know, it was just incredible to me. And then that made me reflect. It's like, yeah, that's who my dad was too. Yeah. And that's how I knew. I mean, even knowing him as an adult and just the relationship that mm-hmm. I have had with him, you know, as, as a friend, seeing that made me reflect on my own relationship with my dad and thinking that was my dad too. Yeah. And that's the mark of a good father. Yeah. Is being your kid's biggest supporter, the biggest fan, the biggest cheerleader that they could ever possibly have. So do you take that into your own relationship with your kids, man? I know they're young. But. Yeah, no, but I 100% yeah. do. I mean, because what it does is, is it shows me the importance that that had on me. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, like the, the, from the time you're a child, you know, if, if you had a dad like I did, somebody who's there cheering you on, it's, you have this ability to keep going because you, you kind of feel like, you know, dad, the big, strong guy yeah. who's always been the one who can lift up the heavy stuff when you're a little kid says, it's okay. Like, go for it. You're awesome. Yeah. Like, you got this. And so many times in my life with my kids, I'm like, man, am I encouraging them enough? Am I, you know, spurring them forward to pursue dreams or am I just making sure they're safe? Yeah. And of course, safety is important. Buckle the seatbelt, do the whole thing. But at the <laughs> Bang same, your head a couple times. That's the yes, point. I'm like, exactly. you know, I, yeah. I, I got a couple <laughs> yeah. concussions on my bike because I wanted to see if I could hit the ramp. And, you know, it's, it's those little moments in life, you know, where if, if you live in a plastic bubble, well, you always need to be in a plastic bubble. And instead, I think it's that encouragement he gave me and that that I hope I do the same for my kids to say, it's okay. Try the ramp on your bike. Like, yeah. hey, I'm going to give you some tips along the way. I'm going to tell you what to look out for. But at the end of the day, you're going to fall and it's going to be okay. And you'll get over that concussion that I still remember. You bet. The other foggy. cool thing that I remember about your dad too is that because your mom was always like the figurehead in the businesses that you guys yeah. had. And being around just the family, the Evans family as a whole, I could always see that he was also like the biggest lifter of your mom. Yeah. You know, as a, as a spouse, as a partner in life, he would always support her in everything and enabled her. Yep. You know, anything that she ever needed, he, he was always there. And it was really cool because as I saw your mom level up in areas and business and everything else, he would grow with her too. Yeah. Yeah. You know, that was so cool because never tried to hold her back, you know, or just say, well, maybe you shouldn't try this or whatever it is. It's like, whatever you can think of. And it was amazing. Almost every time I just pop over and visit, you know, because you are a lot like your mom. I'm, I'm in the same boat. Mm -hmm. We get all these brand new, crazy freaking ideas all the time. (laughs) You wake up with, for some reason, one day and it's like, I need to do this now. For sure. And yeah. he, he would always be like, awesome, go get it. What do you need me to do? Yeah. What How do you can need? I help? Exactly. Right. And even more, it's like, what do you need me to go learn? <laughs> so yeah. I can be alongside of you the entire way. Or what do you need me to change or, or grow with myself in order to be with you through this new part of our journey? Well, I mean, I think I think the greatest example of, of my dad and, and that for me and the support he gave me, just like my mom and our whole family, um, you know, the music thing. And we went out and buy this used tour bus and we put the big wrap on it. Well, somebody had to drive it. And for the next three or four years, my dad came on the road with us and just drove this bus. Awesome. I mean, I'm talking countless hours. Like we're playing a gig, you know, in Denver, Colorado, and we're done at two o'clock in the morning and we've got to hit the road and get to Santa Fe or something. And here we all come off stage and we're amped and we're ready and we're ready to crash out and go to sleep. And here's my dad driving all night long to get us to the next gig, to support us, to tell us how great of a job we did when we wake up in the morning at some truck stop. And, you know, that was it. It was just wholehearted support and belief because he knew that he's like, 
you're, you're talented. My mom, he, he knew his wife was talented. He knew that she had something inside of her that was worth supporting. And he was never afraid to tell you how good of a job you're doing. He'd give you some tips along the way, maybe some advice he knew, but he would never once try and shut you down and say like, well, you know, that stuff never pans out. What he would tell you is, man, that hasn't worked for a lot of people, but I think it could work for you. Like, ha. Huh. Look at that mindset shift, man. That's yeah. amazing. That's incredible. It's powerful too. It is. Yeah. What's been the toughest part this year? Not having your dad around. Um, I think it was, you know, uh, it was cancer that my dad had and yeah. he, um, you know, leading up to his death, he got really weak and it was seeing that powerful person I knew and grew up with sort of lose that power and, and turn into now I'm here to support him. And it was like, on one hand, it was like my chance to sort of give back. And, but on the other hand, it was like, slowly letting go of, of that thing that was so important to me and so pivotal in my life. And, um, then finally saying goodbye. Yeah. Yeah, man. It's tough. I remember yeah. the last days and I was only 16, but it was that exact reason why I didn't want to go see my dad in his last hospital stint. Yeah. yeah Cause he was, uh, he was doing really good because he had leukemia, you know, which is a form of cancer yeah. in, the, in the blood. And he was doing really good with his bone marrow transplant and then like everything turned on a dime because yeah. he got a freaking staph infection, you know, the <sighs> craziest thing ended up killing him. And those last two weeks when he went into the hospital, you know, and I was here and he was airlifted out to Iowa where he had the transplant done at the university of Iowa. And I got the call saying that, you know, it's probably only going to be like another 24 hours. <sighs> you want to come see him? And this was my mom, you know, and I remember actually being at church. I was about to play music, even mm -hmm. at 16, going to play the drums and I, they said, your mom is on the phone at the church. So I, I knew what it was, man. Yeah. It's the weird intuitions that you yeah. have. I knew what the call was. It was, do, do you want to come? And my question was, well, how does he look? You know, and the second was, would he even know that I'm there? And the first answer was, he doesn't look good. And the second answer was, he won't even know that you're here. And so I'm like, then I don't want to, because I wanted to, like you're saying, I, I wanted to remember him in that position of strength. Yeah. And I didn't want to go in there and it wasn't my place. I felt because I, I was a son. Yeah. And I was older than my brother and sister. My mom was there. My uncle was there. He had the support he needed in that moment. Yeah. And I still do not regret that decision mm -hmm. to this day because I, I didn't actually see him at his quote unquote worst. Yeah. Uh, but then at the same time, I think back, you know, cause I've talked to people and interviewed about losing spouses, you know, during this whole pandemic thing. And that's the part that breaks my heart because if something were to happen now, because now I'm an adult <laughs> and that's my position of support to be in, in that moment with whoever that is, you know, and God, God forbid anything happens to somebody I love yeah. during this time, but I would want to be there. And that would piss me off to no end right now and rip my heart out if I could not be. Mm -hmm. And so it's an interesting two sided of, of the coin there, but regardless, it's the memories that we hold, man. Yeah. And that's what I'm sure you've been looking at this past year, reflecting, you know, What's your favorite memory of your dad? Um, man, there's a million. I'm sure there is. There's yeah. a million, but I Pick think one. <laughs> one of the coolest things, um, my dad had a 70, 70th birthday a um, year and a half ago or something, almost two years ago. His birthday's in February, so whatever. Yeah. Um, and uh, me and my two older brothers, there's three of us, three, his three sons. I'm the youngest. It's great. Um, we said, all right, dad, for your birthday, we want to plan a trip. 
So we're going to let you pick. And, and I made this thing like a, whatever in like Photoshop. And it was like a picture of like Vegas and a picture of Florida and a picture of like a snowmobiling trip or something or whatever. And we're like, dad, what do you want to do? You pick the trip. So it's something you want to do. And then we're going to plan it. And we're all going to go together. And he was like, well, I've been to Vegas like a hundred times when Dan was playing music full time. Like, let's uh, yeah, snowmobiling. I don't really like the cold Florida. We've been there like a million times. You know what I want to do? It was my buddy, he told me about this place in Kentucky, Dale Hollow Lake. And um, it's a beautiful lake and there's no homes on the lake. So it's very quiet. It's a huge body of water and it's quiet. There's no homes on it. You rent a houseboat. And so you're on this houseboat for like a week or however long you rent it. And he goes, and we'll just be out there. Like, it'll just be us, like in the quiet, in the middle of wherever. And, um, you know, we'll pull up to different shores and just wooded areas and forests and make fires and cook food and just be together. And, um, <clears throat> and I was like, that sounds incredible. Like we'll be fishing the whole things. <clears throat> so we plan this trip and we go. And it was, it was such an incredible time because like, you know, Vegas, I love Vegas. It's an incredible place, but there's a lot going on in shows and dinner and all this stuff. And you can almost lose the, the time you're trying to have with the special people. And this, was the idea he had was, was so cool. It was just like this time we got to have for this week with nothing going on, like no cell phone service. We're just like making fires and fishing and like grilling food. And, um, and so th the next year rolled around and when he was getting really sick, we're like, man, I guess we're probably not going to get to do that this year. And my dad tells my mom, he goes, you know, the boys haven't really brought up the tripping and I don't know if they didn't like it. And we're like, no, like we, we thought he couldn't do it. Like he's not as strong as he was. And she said, he wants to go. And so we planned it and we got to do that this year one more time. That's great. And uh, when the trip was all uh -huh. over, we were just talking about how cool it was. My mom goes, you know, the point of that trip wasn't just for him to spend that time with you, but he wanted you guys to create something that you would keep doing even after he's gone. Because he understood the importance of the relationship of you and your brothers, that, that he wanted that to live on long beyond him. So. I was like, wait a second. He, oh, I was like, no way. I was like, he, this wasn't just about us. He was thinking like multiple levels later about like <laughs> keeping our family together and these relationships of, of all of us. I was like, what a dude, you know? So not only was the trip incredible, but it, it really showed me even another side of him and how important his family was to him. Even in his last few months on this planet here with us, he was still thinking of the long-term version of his family. He was one of the least selfish people ever. Ever. I remember that. That's, that's, yeah. that's just like embodied who he was, man. Yeah. That, that's incredible. That's mm -hmm. awesome. He, he told me once, he was like, Dan, I remember how much fun we had on the road playing music and all that stuff. I was like, yeah, yeah. He goes, I hated driving that bus. I was like, really? <laughs> That's awesome. He's like, I hated it. I was like, you did it for years. Like, I mean, yeah. he goes, I know, because you needed me to, but I hated it. <laughs> you know? I was like, dad, you're the best. I was like, I don't even know what to tell you. That's amazing, man. Yeah. That's amazing. That's great. Uh, <laughs> you wrote a song called Letter to My Addiction. Yes. Look at that. How does that, because I mean, everything about who you are is yeah. about going all in. That's why I think we've been such good friends over yeah. the years too, man. How does that specifically relate? 
Um, I, one of the really interesting things I discovered after The Biggest Losers is I would meet people who are fans of like all walks of life. I mean, it was a huge show. And, and part of what made it extremely huge was the timing. It was right during the writer strike um, all through Hollywood. So being a, a reality show, they put all their attention on non-scripted television. So our show went from a one hour to a two hour show. They extended it multiple weeks. So it became NBC's number one show for the, the season we were on it. And when I come off the show, I'm like, there's fans everywhere. I'm walking through the airport, I'm at the, the store, grocery store, Target, whatever. There's people like, oh my God, you're this guy from The Biggest Loser. How's your mom? How's your music? Whatever, whatever. And I started to look at these people, I'm like, why did you watch the show? Like I would meet some people that were like buff and like everything I would hope to be. And I'm like, I don't get it. And the thing that I heard over and over and over again was everybody has a struggle. Everybody has that thing. Like weight loss is just a very visible version of this struggle that everybody has, but it could be anything. It could be a uh, substance abuse. It could be relationships. It could be that person who is toxic for you, but you keep going back to them. It could be habits. It could be anything. And that was sort of the aha moment to me of the reason we all relate and we connect and we are all sort of on this journey together is we all have that thing that sort of that thing in our life that we have to conquer and overcome. And um, when I was writing the song, uh, these two beautiful, incredible songwriter ladies, we were in this co-write together in Nashville. And uh, the one gal, she said that, that she dealt with substance abuse and, and the other gal talked about um, smoking. She's like, I, I try to quit. I've quit a million times and I still smoke today. And I'm, I'm a professional at quitting because I've done it so many times. And she's like, but what I feel like is we all relate. Let's write a song about that. And so the three of us co-wrote this song, Letter to My Addiction, on the idea of we don't have to say what it is. We don't have to say, for me, it's whatever, a burger and a soda and all this, or for her, it's these substances, or for her, it's a smoking a cigarette or whatever. It's just about the thing. And it's, that was the point of the song. It's I'm getting free at last. You're nothing but my past, you know? And I'm not going back to how I used to be when you had your hold on me. I'm getting free. And it was just a letter to my addiction that, that anybody could sort of make their own because we all have our thing. And it's powerful when you can shed that too. Yeah. You know, and then it, it's one of the same things because addictions could be considered failures. Of sure, course. Sure, sure. Looking back at those things, you know, and, uh, you know, if I don't even know what I could peg as an addiction except... I said this before, you know, because entrepreneurs, generally speaking, business owners, whatever, have an addictive personality. Yes. You know, and it, it just is what it is. And I'm always addicted to getting to the next level. Yeah. I know that's what my addiction is. And even to the point to where it sacrifices me and hurts me from being able to celebrate the moment. Yeah. You know, right, so it's right. almost like detaching from success because nothing's ever really good enough. I'm right. always addicted to to improvements and everything else. Which You've is, already moved the marker by the time you got to this new yeah. finish line. Like the marker didn't even doesn't live there anymore. It's you already it. pressed forward. For sure. And that's, uh, I mean, you bring people around you too that can help you just almost like drag you down yeah. in a good way to yeah. say, hey, just hang here for a quick moment. You know, but yeah. it's still, regardless of having everybody else around you, I mean, this is what I realized, you know, because I, I wasn't really, when I dropped weight, I wasn't really addicted to any sort of foods. Sure. Or I didn't stress eat. You know, I didn't even have issues with portion control. I was just uneducated. Yeah. You know, but it still came to the decision of really my choice. Yeah. Is it going to change or is it not going to change? 
And that realizing that in that moment, that that was really the choice to be made. It wasn't losing weight because like like you said, that's the visible aspect of things, right? right? Of whatever struggle it is. And, you know, weight could be actually a symptom of even a completely different struggle. It might not be the burger and fries. It could be an abusive relationship. It could be, you know, losing a dad, you know, if that's Mm -hmm. the case and not grieving through that and just ignoring what's going on. You know, not not cherishing the memories and actually allowing yourself to process those things. And yeah. then you start to gain weight because you turn to other things like food. It's not even the problem. Right. You know, it's it's a but symptom. It, it, it can be a Band-Aid. Yeah, that you thing got that it. feels good in the moment. It, yeah. it, it sort of just stuffs down. I'm sad right now, but if I eat something that's salty and fatty and sweet and delicious, my mind goes, woo, ding, 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 yeah. ding. And this feels good all of a sudden and I'm not thinking about that. And a little while later, you're like, I'm thinking about that. You know what helps that, though? Ding, 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 and we're back. (laughs) For sure. That's why I've realized, too, you know, diets, like I said, diets don't work. Mm -hmm. You know, but I I recognize no matter what it is, it always comes down to your choice. Yeah. You know, and sometimes it's making the wrong choice is what actually allows you to go back and fall back into that addiction. Because why are you, why do you have that addiction to begin with? Right. You know, Absolutely, and, and I realized that actually that addiction that I have to always continuing to go, this is like full circle in our conversation, always trying to go to the next level, the next level, the next level, actually related back to my dad dying. Wow. And I remember the f- words that I said when I spoke at his funeral, because I always looked around, we were talking about the support, right? Yep. And I'm looking at that, and I'm like, that dude supported me, and I need to do him proud. Yeah. And so it's always like, it's like, well, what can I do? That's ever going to be good enough to match yeah. what he did for me. Yeah. Even just by being there, because I mean, the guy didn't make a lot of money. You know, he was an insurance salesman in the ghetto, you know, walking around picking up cash payments for life insurance policies. <laughs> he might have made max maybe $35,000, $40,000 a year. He used to always say he has the best part time job in the world because he can always <laughs> be home with his kids. <laughs> yeah. uh, but looking back at that, it's like I, I didn't care about that. I didn't care about the dollars, I didn't care about anything else. So for me, me being good enough for him is actually being the best I possibly can be for my kids because yeah. that's what he did. And coming back to that phrase that I said yeah. at his funeral of, I'm not going to let you down. And that's Man. the reason for my addiction yeah. of always continuing to move forward yeah. because I always feel that I'm, it's just never going to be good enough. <laughs> even though I know, you know, cause I feel that he can still see what's going on. Sure. You know, even, and I know that I know that if he's right here, he'd be patting me on the back. He'd be saying, I I can't, uh, it's amazing what you're doing. Look at everything that you're doing. Well, I I mean, even the thought of like, I mean, you're, you're physically like half him. I mean, you know, you know, we, we think spiritually he's always here and he's watching over, but like technically he, he is me. I mean, that's how I'm on this planet. We won't get into how people are made. We'll get out, we'll stay out of that, whatever. Uh, But, (laughs) but ultimately it's, I mean, the fibers of your being, your DNA, your, I mean, you are created from that person and no matter how much, how far they've been gone or how long it's been, they are here and, and they're always here. And it's, it, I, I think that's the thing. It's, it's to know that they're not just looking down on you, but they are here with you no matter what. Yeah. Regardless, because yeah. They, they, like, that's amazing. They're, you're half them. Yeah. <laughs> truly and honestly. Yeah. <laughs> that's incredible, man. I, um, I want to keep going, but I'm just going to say it right now, this is part one. We yes. know, before show we said of 11, so maybe, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I don't know how many it's going to be, but there's so many things that we need to go. in. I think, you know, um, 
actually, this is a good question. And my team has put this together because I'm curious, right? Mm -hmm. Because I I, I would go back and, you know, thinking about when I was really, really big and we'll end Mm -hmm. with this, right? Favorite foods, you know, I used to always go my favorite food way back when, dude, I used to indulge at like Olive Garden's never ending pasta. Oh, God. So it was like the breadsticks, the the fettuccine alfredo that's what i always dive into yeah. and freaking cookies man those oh. are the, the sweets that was the thing because it was never uh, and it's not like i was going to olive garden every day you know i was broke i couldn't afford even going <laughs> yeah. to olive garden for the 12 dollar never-ending pasta. <laughs> not that big time and we can't go to olive garden <laughs> yes, all the time exactly I mean, that was the trade. big date back then yeah. right the 12 dollar never-ending yeah. possible but cookies for me man and that, that was the thing is that and now while i still like them they're not even like a favorite food anymore yeah you know there's other things i go to instead because i still got that sweet tooth you know, I still like to say the fat Ricky's in me, you know? <laughs> but my new favorite food, man, is just straight up proteins, you yeah. know, and meats. And that's what we're going to go enjoy. When we're done <laughs> here. You know, and if that was the way, I mean, I think of like Jordan Peterson, yes. you know, and his raw beef diet, you know, it's yeah. like, I think I could do that. Yeah, I can hang. I could hang. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but do you have any new favorite foods now that you understand nutrition? Um, you, you know, I, I went on this real journey with food overall. And, and for me, food was like this thing, like where, you know, oh, like uh, mushrooms, they're gross, they're slimy, or like, you know, onions, I don't like the way they whatever. And so I had this weird disconnect from food where like, I, I just like to eat, you know, the foods I like, very basic, not a lot of like toppings and sauces. I just wanted like my foods. And something I somehow grew to, to realize or encapsulate or, or understand was I had this disconnect from food where I like, I kind of half hated it, but I needed it and I was like addicted to it, but yet like textures were weird. And if it smelled weird and if it was a little cold, I couldn't eat it or whatever. And I developed a passion for making food, for really understanding like the process of creating food. And I fell in love with it. I fell in love with like making fresh salsas and marinating meats and, 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 picking vegetables and creating fresh salads. And for me, it, it went away from like food being this like thing that comes in a package at a place and it's weird and it's whatever to like something that was like real. It became like, I don't know, like, like a, a real passion of mine to like find good ingredients and create new flavors. And, and over time I developed this passion for trying new things. And I, I took a trip to Japan to play music for a whole other thing. And I remember the whole journey was like, wow, what can I try here? Like what's, what's in this world? Um, so for me, what really shifted and changed as opposed to like a particular category that I've, I've fallen in love with. I fall in love with food in a very different way where it's not like this thing I need, but it's weird and it's gross and it's slimy or whatever, but it's something that like I find is almost like an art form. I, I, you know what I mean? Oh yeah. It's and Dude, you're creating. It's just like music. It is. Yeah. It tickles the same bone. Yeah. And at the end, and when you share it with people, it's like a performance Yeah. and there's a reaction and you're so excited. Like, I mean, I'll spend like <laughs> right three on. days making this meal yeah. and I'm waiting for like, what do you think? Yep. And, uh, so, so that was really the big shift for me was to fall in love with food in the creation and, and what goes into creating and building flavors. And then at the end of the day, sharing it with people and waiting for the crowd reaction like any good song or a performance that's fantastic yeah. i love that man this has been exciting for me for real it's been great yeah man this, there's gonna be another part i don't know how many after this but it just is what it is <laughs> one of question mark yeah there we go <laughs> yeah. we should do one live at a sushi place sometime yes. that'd be a lot of fun yeah strap on some mics and get some videographers and start going through the roles that we <laughs> a little sushi cast <laughs> yes i like it awesome i'm all in dude thanks for coming by <laughs> yeah man Wanna thanks grab for having some dinner me. I'm in. Let's do it. All right.
What's shaking? Thank you for joining me on the All In Podcast. Click the subscribe button and smash that bell for notifications. Text me, 312-535-8520. Follow me on social media, at Mr. Rick Jordan. See you next episode. I am Rick Jordan, and I approve this message.